the last section of the letter to the Colossians by Paul is filled with all sorts of names, some easier, some harder to pronounce. But if we can get past that, we can see an incredible example Paul's talking about of the impartation of faithfulness by one man to a number of other people whose lives he touched, the Apostle Paul. I want you to see the importance of the impartation in the life of a disciple in this passage today from Colossians chapter 4. I hope you enjoy it. This is Voices Along the Way. I'm Gene Brooks. Today we're in the last section of the letter to the Colossians. We'll complete that letter today. If you will take your Bible with me. If you have a Bible, would you raise it please? I'd like to see. Up in uh, Cape Mount and Bomi, they the missionaries had Bible camp every Sunday. We counted Bibles, and I think you got a prize if you if uh, so, something happened if you got a, if you brought your Bible. And so it's important that uh, you bring your Bible because it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what the music is. It doesn't matter whether the AC is on or not. It doesn't matter if you showed up at church or not. It matters what God's Word says. And so if you have God's word before you, then you have what you need. And so that's, uh, and if you have a preacher who is not deriving what he says from the text before us, then he's wasting your time. And, and so we want to preach from God's word. Read with me from the last section, beginning at verse 7 of chapter 4 of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending you, sending him for, to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas, say greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church at her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it, that you complete the work you've received of the Lord. I, Paul, write this reading in my own hand. Remember my chains. 
Christ's name. May the Lord bless the reading and teaching and preaching of his word. In 1787, 411 freed slaves, mostly from London, landed at a place called Frenchman's Bay in Sierra Leone to begin an experiment in Christian community in Africa. This group of men and women, former soldiers, a few craftsmen, and 70 prostitutes <laughs> were attempting to create a Christian community. Within a year, most of the settlers were dead from hunger and disease. But they and a few British abolitionists in London fought to keep the kingdom community of Sierra Leone alive. Their prayers were answered five years later in 1792, when 1,200 former slaves arrived from Nova Scotia in Canada. As the small boats brought the settlers to the shore, the Canadian freed slaves sang hymns. And as they landed, they gathered for open-air worship there on the beach. Worshiping King Jesus who had liberated them, singing, The day of Jubilee is come, return ye ransomed sinners home. Conscious of this new vision of the kingdom of God in Africa, they named their settlement Freetown. A Christian community where freed slaves would attract the surrounding West African brethren to the liberating power of the gospel which break the chains of sin and slavery. The Freetown Settlement marked the establishment of the first black church in modern, modern Africa, the beginning of the modern missionary movement in West Africa. Modern African Christianity did not begin with a white missionary agency, but in the initiative of former African slaves. This black missionary movement would grow stronger and impart a profound influence on the nature and the spread of Christianity in 19th century Africa. The passage before us today has a lot of similarities to the Freetown vision. On the surface, the Apostle Paul and Timothy are greeting those that they know in Colossae and the surrounding areas. But... There's something more here. There's impartation into the lives of those who they influenced. And there is in this passage here, impartation into the lives of those whom we influence and disciple for the kingdom's sake. There are many principles in disciple making. One of them is the principle of selection. There's the principle of multiplication. There's the principle of association. And in our passage today, we see the principle in disciple making of impartation. And we'll see that in this passage. We're in the third and the last section, the end of the letter of Colossians, and we see what we see is a, a list of greetings from Paul to the believers in Colossae. This is common in Paul's letters. He does this often. You see it at the end of 1 Corinthians. You see it at the end of Romans. You see it at the end of Philemon. You see it at the end of Philippians. You see it at the end of Ephesians. 
this hearty fellowship of believers that geography had doesn't matter, even though they don't have real-time communication like we do with the Internet, they had a hearty fellowship. Now, it seems at first that this is just a, a personal listing uh, of ancient church names. It has no bearing on us as believers whatsoever. It's as if, well, this is just very nice, very quaint. This is uh, really good to see that the early church, they knew each other. They had their networks. They were getting along, and they, were, they loved each other. That's very nice. And some people will leave it at that. But we believe in the full inerrancy of Scripture, which includes the belief that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's all God-breathed, every bit of it. And every bit of it is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There is no part of Scripture that is more important than another. That's the doctrine of inerrancy. That's the doctrine of inspiration. That every word of Scripture is equally inspired. Whether we understand why it's there or not, it's there for a reason. It's all equally inspired. So here's Paul writing from house arrest in Rome, guarded by Caesar's imperial guard, awaiting trial, Receiving guests, preaching the gospel. We see that in Acts chapter 28, at uh, verses 30 and 31 specifically. Paul is writing this passage to encourage the Colossian Christians by the lives of those they knew to focus on several things. Encouragement, community, intercession, edification, building up the body. So today I want to show you what the Word of God says about the disciple-making principle of impartation and its outworking in our lives. This is going to be a great time in God's Word. Let's look at the first point we have today, and that is that we are called to impart encouragement in the body of Christ. We look at the first word of this passage, and it's a name, the name Tychicus. He's the carrier of the letter. He's the one who has it, on, has it on his body, on his person, to carry it by ship uh, to the people uh, who live in the interior of Asia Minor uh, at Colossae. The wording here is almost identical to the wording you see in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 and 22. And it's probable that Tychicus was carrying more than just the letter to Colossae. He was probably also carrying the letter to the Ephesians. He was carrying a letter as well to the one at Laodicea, which we do not have. We do not have it because apparently it was not inerrant scripture. And he was also carrying the letter to Philemon. Those we know that were on him, that he was responsible to carry those letters to these churches. Notice what he is called. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. He's called a Faithful. He's also called that in Acts chapter 20 verse 4. And he's also called that in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 21. He was a dependable man. He was a native of Asia Minor. He was with Paul in Greece. And he went with him to Troas at the end of the third missionary journey. He helped Paul carry the relief to Jerusalem. And he served as Paul's emissary there in Jerusalem. 
And Paul had sent Tychicus on a mission to Ephesus in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, we see it there. The very, some of the last things Paul wrote before he was executed. And he had planned to send him, him, either he or Artemis, he was going to send to Crete to take Titus' place to bring Titus back to be with him for a while. Tychicus seemed to be an important member of Paul's team later in Paul's ministry, especially dear in relationship to the apostle. The second person that you see mentioned in the text is a, is a man named Onesimus. Now you might have known about Onesimus from the letter to Philemon. His name, the name Onesimus means useful. So his name is useful. Uh, that's the name apparently given by whoever was advertising this young man as a Roman slave for sale. He's a useful person. We named him useful. And so it was a marketing tool. Paul called him faithful. Not useful, but faithful. You see there in verse 9, he's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother. Get this. Paul calls a runaway slave a faithful man. Someone who ran away from his bondage. He, you would think someone who runs away would be unfaithful, maybe. But here he is, a native of Colossae, and Paul calls him a faithful man. He's a dependable man. O Onesimus had met Paul in Rome, we see in Philemon, uh, the letter to the Philemon in verse 10. He had run away from his master, too, who was in Colossae, and he was running to Paul, and when he came to Paul, Paul led him to Christ. Now Onesimus is going back with the letter to his legal owner under Roman law, Philemon. Going back to him is now as a brother in Christ. And Paul asked Philemon, who is probably a leader in the church there. In fact, he's probably maybe the father of the associate pastor to treat him as a brother in Christ now and not just as another Roman slave. Now. Let me ask you this question. How did Tychicus and Onesimus become encouraging and useful? They had spent time around an encouraging and useful mentor. They had spent time with Paul. Paul had modeled it for these believers. And now they were operating in those same ways. The most important things we learn in the Christian life are not necessarily taught, they're caught. And things like being encouraging, things like being useful. Whom are you modeling your life after? Who is your pattern? Who do you look to as a leader? Who are you mimicking and following? You figure that out and you'll have a vision of what you will be in a few years. And let me ask you a different question a different way. For whom are you being a model? You figure that out, and you'll see the impact of your life in a few years on others. Because it's about imparting who you are in Christ to others. It's the principle of impartation. One of the most important things that we can do in the church is to be encouraging.
Tychicus was an encouraging news carrier. Too often, <laughs> we, we have plenty of news carriers in the church, but they're not all uh, encouraging, right? They carry tales. They carry tales of gossip. They carry news that defiles. They carry innuendo. They carry lies. Christ calls us to be carriers of encouragement, not tail barrels. He tells us and calls us to build one another up, not tear one another down. He calls us, like Mr. Useful, to be useful in the hand of the Lord. To build his house, not tear it down. So what about you? Are you a tail barrel? Do you, do you shred people or do you build them up? Are you critical about things or are you an encourager? Do you tear down the leadership or do you seek to respect even when you disagree? Are you an encourager? Are you useful in the kingdom? The second thing here in this passage we see from verses 10 and 11. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus and Mark. Aristarchus is called here a faithful companion. My fellow prisoner He's called a fellow prisoner, literally, in, in Philippians 23, he's called my fellow prisoner of war. <laughs> Perhaps he's voluntarily a prisoner with Paul. Maybe he chose to be with Paul. He could have passed for Paul's personal servant or slave for the Romans and just volunteered to be his servant and just say, I'm a Roman slave and I'm, just, I'm here to serve my master while he's in house arrest. But he was voluntarily there under house arrest, a native of Thessalonica. He became a Christian during Paul's three short weeks of ministry there. You read about it in Acts 17. He was present that day of the Ephesus riot when they were screaming Artemis of the Ephesians and about to kill Paul. Acts 19. And he went on with Paul to Jerusalem as one of the two delegates from the Thessalonian church. We see in Acts 20. And he accompanied Paul and Luke when they sailed from Caesarea back to Rome. And then he remained with Paul in Rome as he was under house arrest. We see that in Acts 27. And then there was Mark. Mark is a person who went from being unfaithful to being faithful. We see in Acts 13, 15, and in 1 Peter 5, some things about this John Mark. Jewish guy, cousin of Barnabas, not nephew. He was a native of Jerusalem. That's where he was born and raised. But he traveled with Paul and Barnabas to Cyprus on the very first missionary journey. When they arrived in Perga on the mainland of Asia, Mark defected and went home to Mama, returned to Jerusalem. We see that in Acts 13. Paul, judging Mark to be weak, and this being a weakness on his team, he refused to let him go on the next journey. Nope, if you can't do the job, you can't go. Well, there was a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas over this. It resulted in Paul taking his younger cousin, Barn younger cousin John Mark, back to Cyprus, while Paul set off with Silas, Acts 15. Under Barnabas' careful guidance as an encourager, John Mark regained his reputation so that he and Paul were eventually reconciled and then we find Mark with Paul in Rome, associating with a capital prisoner. Talk about faithful. 
He didn't have to do that. He could have hid. He could have hidden from Paul because if you associate yourself with a capital prisoner of the uh, going before the emperor to be tried, uh, that's serious. They could also call you too to go to the executioner's spot very easily. You're one of them. You go too. Mark would later go on to become the writer of one of the four Gospels. And he would write it from Peter's point of view. So he was discipled by Barnabas and then Paul and then Peter. Another form of impartation. He learned how to write during this time. And then we see a third person, a third Jew. His name is Jesus, or he would say in the Hebrew, Yeshua, or Justice. Here, here he has a Jewish and a Greek name, like many people who stand between cultures uh, and across a culture, they'll carry one name, a local name, and, and then they'll also carry uh, another name that more foreign people will, will recognize. In Liberia, you have a yard name and you have an ID card name, right? <laughs> and so, so your yard name is what everybody who knows you calls you, but then your official business name is the name on your ID card, right? And so this was his... He had two names, and that was how he had a Greek name, and he had a Jewish name. Now, he, has, he is a Jewish church planter. A Jewish church planter? Oh, wow. That's got to be a tough job. Think of how faithful you have to be. I mean, a violent and dangerous life he's living, because he has enemies on both sides. He goes to the synagogue, he has enemies. He goes out in the marketplace, he has enemies, because he's a Christian. And so he is, he is, someone's after him all the time. He's with Paul. So these Jewish workers with Paul are important for him in going out to the synagogues in Rome because he can't go. He's under house arrest. We see that in Acts 28. There is not, there are not many better ways to describe someone's character than to say that they are faithful. Each one of these guys are faithful. Faithfulness or dependability, one who will stick with you even in the tough times. Those are the ones that you want to call your friends. You want to find out who your friends are? Go through a tough time. Go through a dark time. Those are the ones who stick with you. Those are your true friends. Are you dependable? Or can no one trust any promise that you make? What would your children say about you if they were to ask how dependable you are? What would your spouse say? What would your employer, your boss man say about how faithful you are? What would your church leaders say? about your faithfulness? Are you dependable on your job? Or do you talk Christ and consistently come in late, miss work, fail to do what you're supposed to do to make your deadlines, to carry things home with you from the office that don't belong to you? Christ calls us to be faithful in our families, in our jobs, and before Him. So how do you fix things if you've been unfaithful? Well, you ask the Lord to help you learn 
Consistency. And to build faithfulness into you. Consistency is faithfulness. Doing things as, you, as you're supposed to do them. Ask your family to help you become more dependable. Ask your boss man to help you become more dependable. Some of us just need to grow up. Just to do what we say we're going to do. To stop making promises that you won't keep or you can't keep. Respect yourself and respect the Lord's name by following through on your commitments. The third thing that we see here in this passage is that we're called to impart intercession or prayer. Intercessory prayer in Christ. That's verses 12 and 13. We have this remarkable man, Epaphras, who's mentioned next. Remarkable. Because he's the pastor of the church at Colossae. They, so we have three Jews. And now it's followed by three Gentiles. Paul says these are only Jews among my fellow workers. The rest are Gentiles. Epaphras, a Gentile. The pastor of the Colossian church. Who's come all the way to Rome. He's the church planter there. And, and he's an intercessor. He's a praying pastor. He's faithful. And he took the risk of being associated with a capital prisoner because he loved his church enough to come and bring news to Paul in Colossae about what was going on and the problems he was seeing with, with theology, the two different groups, the legalist group and, and the people who hear voices in the spirit realm, these two different groups of people, and, and it's messing up the whole understanding of, of what it means to be a Christian. He risked being locked up with him, but he came. Because it was important to him. Where did Epaphras learn how to pray? Perhaps from the one who led him to Christ. And taught him how to plant a church. Perhaps from Paul himself. Paul imparted to Epaphras a deep love of prayer and a knowledge of prayer. So how do we learn to pray? How do you learn to pray? You learn to pray by praying with people who know how to pray. Prayer is a deterrent here, we see in verse 12 and 13, to false teaching and backward discipleship, falling backwards. Every time I have found crippled believers, I have found a lack of prayer. Every time I have found well-formed, strong believers, I have found a heavy wealth of prayer. Every time I have found those who wrestle in prayer, I've found a deep and profound work of God in their lives and an incredible answers to prayer. Are you listening and praying? Are you wrestling in prayer? My friend Tom Wright was a prayer warrior. He spent many years walking his own way, doing his own thing in the military. But then he had back surgery. And in that long downtime he had, he came out of his back surgery with a limp that he carried the rest of his life, so similar to me like Jacob who fought the angel at Peniel. But after he walked, began walking with a limp, he really began walking with God. He was a friend of mine in our church in South Carolina. He became a prayer warrior. He wrestled with the Lord in prayer. And when he went to prayer, he didn't come out of it until the Lord released him. Tom saw great answers to prayer, including one time when the Lord led him to pray for an unreached people group in China called the Shui people. He 
was, it was laid on his heart that, that they would receive the Jesus film in their own language. He prayed fervently about this. In fact, I myself discouraged him. I said, I looked up and I read about the Shui people. They don't speak that language anymore. They're speaking Mandarin now. So don't even bother with praying about that. But he said, I can't help it. I've got to pray for it. And he prayed fervently. Didn't understand why. Several years later, at a Bible study I was leading, he was there, and a missionary came and told us that a couple of years later, for some strange reason, the Lord had suddenly laid it on the heart of a campus crusade, great commission worker, to translate the Jesus film into the heart language of that unreached people group. He was driven to it. This man was. And, and compl he completed the translation and he began to show the film and saw many, many Shui people come to Christ. That translation work happened during the exact same month that Tom was under such travail in prayer over that issue. We went back and checked the calendar to make sure. I will never forget seeing the tears roll down Tom's face when he met a missionary who had been there, who knew the story, and he realized what he was hearing from this missionary couple and how he had prayed fervently all those months without understanding why. He thanked the Lord profusely that night in prayer for the opportunity that he had to be involved in kingdom work in a place he would never go in a place he would never see the people until he got on the other side. Well, bless God, Tom's on the other side now. The Lord knows what he's doing. And if we'll pay attention, we can be involved with him in what he's doing. And the fourth thing that we see here in this passage is that we're called to impart edification in Christ. What does edification mean? Well, what is this building? What do, you, what do we Liberians call this building right here? We call it an edifice, right? And how do you, why do you call it an edifice? It's because it's something that's built up, right? And so we edification means building up others in Christ. And so when we build up others in Christ, we're called to impart the building up or the edification of others. There are several people that are mentioned here in these last four verses, 14 to 18. We have Luke, who's a physician. He's a, he's a doctor, a Greek physician, a Gentile. He sat with Paul in Rome. We see in Philemon 20, verse 24. And also in 2 Timothy 4.11, we see that Luke is still with him. In fact, it is possible that Luke could have written the book of Acts because it ends, the book of Acts ends with Paul still sitting in Rome waiting for trial. It's possible that in all those hours and days that they sat waiting, he was writing. Perhaps even the gospel of Luke began its infancy as an inerrant piece of the word of God there. Then also, we mention Demas. He's first, we see him, the next one who's mentioned. Luke and Demas send greetings. Uh, Demas, we find out in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, is a person who turned out not to be faithful. He says about him, I, I, let me just read it to you because I find it 
appropriate. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So Demas is the only one in this whole list who's listed as not faithful. He's not faithful. He had a ruinous life. He went back to the world. Nothing more is heard of him in church history after 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. He's never mentioned again. He went back home to Thessalonica. And then the next person who's mentioned is Nympha, or perhaps, depending on uh, the, the, the uh, text that we have, could have been Nymphus, a man, or it could have been a woman. Regardless of it, it had a, this person had a church meeting in their house. The hospitality and the uh, opportunity to serve others, a, a church met in their house. Also, we have the Laodicean churches mentioned. They're nearby. They're not very far at all. They're just uh, down the road away. And this exchange of letters that they do is beginning a process that we see in the formation of the New Testament. They have a letter, they exchange the letter, and they, they read the letter to Colossae, and they read the letter to Laodicea, and they swap the letters around. And what we begin to see in the early church is that then there would become a corpus or a body of letters. There would be the Pauline letters that would be delivered to the churches, and they would make a circular and then there were the Gospels and Acts. They became a corpus and they began to move around. And then there were John's writings. And then there were the general epistles. And they all moved around in the early churches. They were not deemed uh, scripture in the 500s, 600s, or 300s at, at um, Nicaea, as some theologians would tell you. These writings were recognized immediately as inerrant scripture and began circulating among the churches. And then, eventually, they would then be put together in a full body that would, that would be seen as, is in, as inerrant as the Old Testament and then, therefore, would be the Old and New Testament together. And that happened very quickly in the early church. And then there's a man mentioned here named Archippus. He receives what we could call uh, a, a prophetic word. Uh, he has been praying for Archippus, and, and he has instruction to give to Archippus. Paul says, I have something I need to say to you. See to it that you complete the work you've received in the Lord. He says, be faithful. I'm encouraging you to be faithful. Perhaps... He is the, from, Philipp, from Philemon chapter 1 verse 2, we know he's the pastor of the church at Colossae now. And because he's mentioned in the letter to Philemon, perhaps he is the son of Philemon and Aphia there in Colossae. And then the last verse we see in verse 18, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Now, this letter was written by a secretary. He, he uh, spoke it out and it was written by someone, probably Luke. Because he was there. In this case, he had other secretaries at other times. But here Paul adds his own signature to prove that it is genuinely from him. Paul, saying this is a faithful document. This is faithful. I'm being faithful to you. This verse strengthens the genuineness of this letter for us. And the doctrine of inerrancy of the scripture. 
Now, Paul's purpose in life was to build up the body of Christ and to extend it to the nations. And the faithfulness that we see in Paul's life built up the lives of those around him. There was one, Demas, who was unfaithful. Jesus himself also had one. Archippus needed encouragement to be faithful, but Paul had taught them and he had built them and he had edified all those on his team toward something called faithfulness. And Paul imparted faithfulness to those he trained. Do you build up or do you tear down? Do you find ways to help people grow in Christ? Do you find things to encourage and promote in their lives? Do you build morale? Or are you the critic? Be faithful as you're building to build others up. That you would build up people and they will build you up one day when you need the encouragement. Build our church. And so when we see our passage of scripture, we see we are called to be encouraging, to build community, to pray, and to build others up, to edify our brothers and sisters. It's the Jesus way. Amen? Lord, we put this before you today, thanking you, asking you, realizing that even the preacher is preaching to himself today, Realizing that we all need to grow in encouraging others, being faithful to God, being faithful to one another, that we should impart what you have given us to others, that we need to build the community of the church, we need to pray for others, and we need to build one another up. And if there be someone here this morning who has not had an opportunity or up to this point has not received the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, I would invite you right now to admit to God while we are talking with him Admit to God that you have offended Him in the way you have talked and lived and thought. And ask Him to forgive you. Right now, do it. Quietly. And now ask Him to give you the free gift of eternal life. And say to him, I submit my life to you, Lord. And I ask you to be the boss man of my life. I want you to control my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me new life. Now help me grow through the Holy Spirit's work that will now be in my life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now if you prayed that prayer, I do need you to speak with, with one of our pastors today. Pastor Pay is here. Pastor Fully's here. I'm here and Pastor Kallenberg is here.
That's a very important thing that you just did. You prayed that prayer. And we want to discuss it with you and understand exactly what's going on with you. Please speak with us. This is a great day, and I want to bless you. We're going to uh, have a closing song, and then we're going to pray, and then you'll be dismissed. Our singers. secrets about disciple making is that it's more caught than taught. It's um, inculcated by the life that is lived in front of another person and one's life poured out um, before the Lord and other people are watching. Paul's a great example of that in his faithfulness being imparted to all of the people with whom he had contact that are mentioned there in the end of Colossians hope you enjoyed this podcast you can find this on stitcher on itunes on spotify and other platforms thank you for listening to voices along the way i'm gene brooks